Ryan Stanton here with AASEP Frontline, joined today by Dr. Sandra Schneider. And uh, we're talking about a little bit of a National Syndromic Surveillance Program. Uh, not the worrisome type that people worry about on fringe internet, uh, but the type that's actually going to help us in emergency medicine uh, with the ability to know what is going around and what we're seeing in our communities and hopefully to make our workups, evaluations, more accurate and more efficient. So hopefully getting more throughput as we all have increased volumes and wait times within our emergency department. Um, this was a program initiated by the CDC shortly after 9-11 to track some of the things that we're concerned about potentially seeing in the wake of significant uh, man-made disasters. And so um, we're gonna talk about that a little bit, dive into it. So Dr. Schneider, um, first let everybody know what's up with you and then uh, kind of give us a little background on the program. Yeah, so um, I'm Sandy Schneider. I'm the Senior Vice President for Clinical Affairs for ASAP. Been here about, oh, not quite 10 years yet. Um, but uh, prior to that, um, and, and during that, I, I've been an emergency physician, so I am a practicing emergency doc. Um, and, uh, been a, you know, so I've been in the pit. I've been where you guys have been. And I know the fun uh, of, of trying to figure this out. So on a, let's say you're on a normal shift. It's like a Monday you come on shift and like you start seeing, oh, you know, one or two people with vomiting and diarrhea. And you and they say, every time I've ever seen anybody with vomiting and diarrhea, they say it's food poisoning because in the last 24 hours I ate something. Um, and I say, yeah, it could be food poisoning. And I give this. By the end of the shift, I've seen 20 people with nausea, um, vomiting and diarrhea. And I'm pretty sure there's something going around. And so now I change my tune. It's not food poisoning. Everybody's got it. Don't worry, it's something going around. Wouldn't it be great is if when you came on shift, instead of trying to figure out that that food poisoning isn't the food poisoning, but there's something going around that you had a notification that said, by the way, something's going around. So ASEP is partnering with the uh, Center for Disease Control uh, or the CDC uh, to take the data that they collect and try to help you out with this. So with the, with this data, I assume, you know, they were collecting from a hospital's um, trying to get more real-time data. Of course, and we, we do that. I mean, we, we see a lot of that, of course, with COVID. Um, we've seen a lot of the tracking and information every flu season. We get the weekly reports on the CDC's website. Um, you know, every year we get our run of, actually twice a year, we get our run literally, not I guess it is literally and figuratively on norovirus. And, you know, all these things we tend to see that come through that have these little seasonal trends. Um, and of course, COVID's thrown a lot of them off. And right now we're in the middle, from my area, in the middle of a rhino enterovirus run, especially in the pediatric population, as well as some of the COVID. So give us an idea of how the data is shared. I assume it's going to be just de-identified data based on a diagnostic code. And what is the participation rate across the country currently? So after 9-11, as you mentioned, uh, the CDC set this program up to, to start looking for uh, anthrax, smallpox, uh, all of those things that they were worried about. Um, and now they collect data from about almost 80% of the hospitals in the country. Um, and those places uh, have, to uh, excuse me, have to provide their data within the month, but most of them are providing it on a daily basis. They just take an EHR uh, feed. It's all de-identified data, uh, and it goes to the CDC, and they collect this based upon states uh, and look at all the different syndromes. So they look at the discharge diagnosis and the chief complaint, and they come up with all of these syndromes, and then they report it back 
to the state health department, who then reports it back to the local health department, who may or may not share it with us. And so ASEP has worked with the CDC and we're partnering to now sort of work around the middleman. I'm not saying we're gonna ignore the middleman, the, the state health department and local health departments still will have this data, but we will have it as well for at least several of these syndromes that we're worried about, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, certainly all of the influenza, the COVID, the respiratory viruses, the things that we need to watch for. We'll even have some data, for example, on overdoses. So what are people overdosing on and where are they overdosing it? Because we know that what happens is that the, your neighboring uh, state, they'll get a, well, actually, let me just say, Kentucky will start with it and then it'll just spread out to Ohio and Indiana and Pennsylvania. And eventually it'll get to California. By that time, Kentucky's found something new to overdose on and, and that sort of will grow out. Sorry, I had to uh, make the comment that, that for those of you who are in Kentucky, that was a slam on Ryan. It wasn't a slam on, on uh, your state. It was a total slam on him. It's a, it's, it's a it's an innocent dig because we get it. I do a lot of the speaking on it too. And uh, interesting, you know, thankfully now, you know, with being the first, you don't always want to be first. I mean, it's, it's kind of like everything else. You don't want to be first um, is, is the fact that now we're actually seeing that dip back down again. So we're like leading the country and getting the curve to change again. So, you know, hopefully this do, is a trend that's going to continue with decreased deaths associated with it. So, yeah, well, we took the first spike, but we maybe we're going to take the first out of it. Well, I also worked in Kentucky for a while. So I, again, I, I apologize to anybody who was offended, but it was totally meant for, for Ryan, 100%. In any event, it's a, it would, we're going to also have some data looking at those overdoses. Uh, so again, you can see how they're tracking. So if Kentucky's going down, you'll start to see them go down in Ohio and uh, Virginia and eventually in Alabama and, and Texas. Um, and, so again, the data is reported directly from the hospitals to the CDC, and the CDC will continue to give it to the state health departments, continue to give it to the local health departments, but will also give it to ASEP, and ASEP will be able to, to do this. Now, the data is going to be on our what's called our data visualization page. If you haven't seen this, go on to ASEP.org and just search for data visualization. And up, you'll see this beautiful map come up of the country. It'll show you where COVID cases are going up, going down. You can look at how they've been tracking. You can even look at ED visits, the number of ED visits. All of that's going to stay there, but we're just going to have a few more maps on that page and a little bar at the top saying sort of watch out for this um, if, if something sort of pops up. So we're starting with the COVID and the influenza-like illness right now, um, and then with plans to significantly, hopefully, expand uh, very quickly. Um, and and I love the idea because so many so many times agencies and reporting is based on government office hours and you know throughput and staffing and things like that. If it's like my local health department, we can't keep a director. You know, I think we're on director number eighty-seven in the last ten years since I've been involved with EMS. And, you know, so it isn't necessarily going to make it through. The nice thing here is that streamlining of that data and getting it real time, basically real time to physicians. You, you mentioned by the week, uh, which is a lot of how the um, flu data is reported on the CDC site itself. Uh, so it gives you week by week trending, which allows us not only as physicians to know what we're tr what's trending, what's being seen, but also the opportunity for even 
local assets, communities to know what's going around and hopefully avoid uh, some of the EM visits um, and keep people healthier, safer, maybe doing some decreased, you know, some risk mitigation, those types of things like that. So talk about some of the things that you mentioned, the overdoses, um, of course, our diarrheal illnesses, I mentioned the run on diarrhea, you know, some of the outbreaks, we had the hepatitis A outbreak here a few years ago, uh, that was huge. And we were able to trend out and, you know, local states, when we would see stuff on some of the social media sites, they'd say, we're starting to see hepatitis A. And I could raise my hand, as you mentioned, uh, uh, with uh, Kentucky, say, oh yeah, we just went through that, and we they, this is how big it got, this is how many we had, and it's coming, and, and you're going to see it. It's going to take this long before it starts to dissipate. Um, with this, kind of give an idea uh, of the the because I've hinted at it, I guess, but the frequency and the timing uh, that uh, our docs can ex- expect that we start to see some of the data and what it means in terms of. Uh, real-time data versus delayed data and, and, and where it will be in terms of knowing what they're actually seeing. Yeah, so hopefully we will have the site up and functional within the next few weeks. We've just been waiting for the final uh, sort of check with the CDC to to put it up and, and get it live. But hopefully certain, after scientific assembly, in, which is in like two weeks, um, by the way, hope to see you all there, uh, scientific assembly in two weeks, we should be able to get this stuff up and, and visible. Again, the reporting is going to be um, real time in a lot of cases, but no more than a, w- a week um, for 90% or more of the of the hospitals. And then that data is fed to ASEP, and, and it really, you know, they send it to us, and it immediately goes through some black box, um, and that black box produces all that that ASEP created, by the way. But then it goes and be- makes all these nice little maps for us. If there is an outbreak, let's say, for example, a few weeks ago there was malaria. Uh, discovered for the first time in Texas and Florida. And that's an important thing for us because we tend to think of malaria, right? And the people who come back from, you know, Africa or, you know, some foreign country, but we don't think about it in some guy that's hanging around in Texas, uh, you know, never been out of the country. So the fact that malaria came into this country and it was seen for the first time where people got it from, you know, mosquitoes in Texas that had malaria, um, we will be actually adding a little alert to this page that will say, watch out for, mal- it's not going to be extensive. It's not going to be 10 pages. It's going to say malaria reported uh, in Florida and Texas. So again, you can use that. So if you're in like Louisiana, where you know, I keep telling to my husband, mosquitoes don't understand state borders. So if it's in Texas and you're in Louisiana, on particularly on the Western edge, and you see somebody that looks like they got malaria, you say, hey, wait a minute. Malaria is in Texas. Maybe I need to think about this again. Maybe I need to pull this out. The good news is by now you guys would have cooked them. So, you know, with how hot you guys have been, there's no way a mosquito survive and all of that. But it is, you know, it. we see that every year uh, with RSV. It's RSV. The initial cases are almost always in Florida. And then they move up. When you start to see Florida, that's when the national numbers start to start to tick up. Flu is very similar. Southern states spreads up. Uh, as it goes through, is there any thought, you know, potential of making it more granular in terms of getting, you know, regional? Let's just use Texas as an example. You know, Texas is, you know, bigger than most continents, it seems. Um, is, is it a, an opportunity or a thought of potentially making it more granular to actually say, actually, the, this, these are the communities and the areas of these states that we may see it? Now, you know, when we're talking about Rhode Island, it is its own little small 
area, but you know, when we're talking about Texas or some of our larger western states, you know, saying you're seeing these cases, it may still be hundreds of miles away from you, and you may not see those numbers tick up, but it could be, you know, is there a chance, opportunity, vision of potentially making it more granular data? Absolutely. That's where we want to go. We're, we're starting here. We're starting with the data that they'll give us. And then once we show that uh, it's a, both a value to our members, but also show that, you know, we people aren't violating any kind of PHI or feeling like they're being, you know, put down or whatever. Uh, as long as local health departments uh, are com- comfortable with this, uh, then we will make it as granular as we can. Um, it, it is important information for us to have. Uh, even in, for example, the data we now show, we're showing ED volumes in these uh, areas. And that's really important because we all know there's like trauma season and flu season, right? You know, and then the spring and the fall volumes go down and, you know, you you sort of wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And all of a sudden you see your volume start to go down. Wouldn't it be nice to see that it was going down in your neighboring state? Because And then you know it's going to happen in your state any day. Completely agree. I mean, when we're starting to see, you know, trends and waves and um, you know, even if it were even looking at the potential of regional alerts. So for me, well, let's just say I lived in, Te- in Tallahassee. I may not need the alert from Miami-Dade, but, you know, as it starts, things starts to spread up and get within the panhandle, then, then there may be something, you know, an actual alert that says, hey, or in my case here, Ryan, uh, just letting you know, we're starting to see hepatitis A pick up in central Kentucky. We've seen a significant spike in Cincinnati area and the Louisville area, and we're seeing it spread southern, you know, south. So expect to see these numbers so you can be prepared, not only from a staffing standpoint, volume standpoint, uh, but supplies. I mean, that's the one thing that we saw when we had this huge outbreak of hepatitis was having the testing and everything available, you know, to be able to take care of them. Of course, with COVID, the beginning of COVID, everything was, you know, how many tests do we have available having you know, being stocked up for when we start to see those numbers go up, but also, you know, when the numbers go down, being able to, you know, drop that par a little bit so we don't have things expiring. So I think it's an opportunity to really build some efficiency uh, into the emergency department uh, and hopefully uh, get us prepared and ready for when we see these things. And hopefully so we can avoid a lot of testing on these patients. They come in the door, I've got diarrhea, like guess what? Norovirus, it's the entire, you know, I'm not, you know nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, fever. It's like, guess what? It's norovirus five to seven days, here you go, I can let you go, because this is what we're seeing throughout the country. So even with the overdoses, I mean, we know that, you know, for example, fentanyl will just sort of travel across the country, and you'll just, as you mentioned, they go down, they're going down in Kentucky. That's really good news. Um, But, you know, it it is a, it's interesting how things go in waves. And as we followed some of these through COVID, it was interesting to watch the spread from the coast, right? You know, it came in and went to the center of the country, then it went back out, then it came, you know, and it, 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 these things happen. So, you know, we do public health. Um, We in the emergency department do public health, Uh, not in the same way, I think, as we were taught um, in, um, in medical school. But we do a lot of preventative stuff. We do a lot of telling people, you know, what's in the community. Well, we do a lot of just um, uh, providing information to our patients and to our staff as to what to expect. Well, and when you see a third of the country in, on average every single year, uh, of course, the numbers are shifted because some people frequent. 
But, you know, when you see the country and it's the access point for a large amount of the population, especially the vulnerable population, last week's podcast released uh, was on vaccination-based programs in the emergency department and it, taking advantage of our role, potential role in preventive health and public health without impacting emergency physicians in terms of our workflow. And with the combination of social workers, case management, addiction coordinators, whatever it may be, you know, being able to, to advocate for funding and resources to provide better value that can decrease the, uh, the impact on EMS and the emergency department because of taking advantage of the fact that patients are already there. Um, so let's, let's do this to prevent them from having to come back and be seen again. So that care coordination, and of course now the documentation uh, is actually rewarded for doing that type of thinking and working with the social determinants of health and preventive measures and the things that you've considered and not just necessarily done. So in this case, I could see somebody coming in uh, with, uh, with flu and say, we're seeing flu, that's what it is, I'm not going to test you because I don't want to take the, you know, the time, the money, the cost to you, I'm just going to turn you right back around. Now documenting in my chart, we did consider testing for flu, but at this point with the national trends and regional trends, this is consistent with what we're seeing and felt it was best for the patient and everything else. And then you get credit for that. And, you know, on all of these sort of public health programs, and I'm, I'm really glad you did the vaccine one and mentioned that, um, we're not necessarily talking about the emergency physician sitting there and administering a vaccine. We're not talking about them, you know, providing, you know, uh, some public health uh, information. We're talking about the fact that the emergency department is a place. Um, we provide emergency care in that place, but it's still a place where people come. And if you want to find the people who are, um, shall we say, unfindable, I, I always say to, uh, you know, when researchers say, I have no idea how to find these people, I'm like, I do. I know where they are. You know, uh, they were talking about how difficult it is to get sickle cell patients uh, and find out where they're at. And I'm like, are you crazy? You know, I know where they're at. I know where almost, I, you give me two or three weeks and I'll get you a handful, all right? Um, but because we're talk, we talk a lot to the disenfranchised people, the people who've sort of given up on the healthcare system, either because they can't navigate it. And heaven knows if you've tried to navigate the healthcare system recently, I, you know, I give them credit for not knowing how to do that. Um, you know, they, they've sort of gotten lost to um, our system. And it's, you know, we can get them back in. It's not necessarily our role as a physician, but it is our role as an emergency department to deal with those issues, to deal with the issues of homelessness, of food insecurity, because they're going to end up being our patients if we don't. Well, and if you think about the fact that we've been doing public health for decades, in fact, if you went to ABIM General when you came out and got your board certification and you came into that case with the person of the laceration and you didn't mention a Tdap, then you failed the case. And we're not doing that just because of the tetanus. Of course, we don't want anybody to end up the cover on the book because everybody knows that tetanus is the cover of the book. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, the diphtheria and the pertussis, especially the pertussis, you know, we added the pertussis back to it um, in terms of the uh, about a decade, decade, decade and a half ago because of the spike in those number of cases. And here in Kentucky, we do have pertussis up outbreaks every uh, couple of years. And so we are doing these public health things. It's just an afterthought. You know, and the opportunity now, especially with technology, to be able to say, this is what we can do to help prevent dependence and to help people who are the most vulnerable and could have bad outcomes. 
um, and potentially be that source where people can trust the healthcare system again for that preventative measures and to be able to uh, take care of them and, and to where they don't need. And for me, you, you mentioned, you know, where people can be found. You know, that's that's the idea of community paramedicine. You know, EMS knows exactly where almost everybody is. They, they have, you know, a frequent flyer that is unhoused. They're like, oh, yeah, we know exactly where he is. We can go find him. Give us 15 minutes. And, you know, that's where we fill that gap here in central Kentucky is with our community paramedicine because they reach patients literally where they are. And that may be on the woods beside the railroad track and meet them where they are and try to fill those gaps. And I think we as emergency medicine have a significant opportunity to decrease costs, increase efficiency, decrease illness uh, among our communities, and as a result, allowing us as emergency physicians to focus on the true acute illnesses that come in that are inevitably going to happen. So uh, any closing thoughts that you have with regard to the, uh, the new program? Again, talking with Dr. Sandy Schneider and uh, uh, about the National Syndromic Surveillance Program from the CDC, which we are now rolling out. Uh, as a dashboard within the American College of Emergency Physicians that'll be open to everybody, starting off with COVID and influenza-like illness and then expanding pretty quickly to other areas to where you know what's going on in your state and in your communities uh, and hopefully can help you make your department more efficient and cost-effective and get patients uh, where they need to be as quickly as possible. So any closing thoughts, any contact for you uh, as uh, we wrap up today? Yeah, so my contact's easy. It's schneider at asep.org. The only thing you can do is mess up the last name and you'll have to learn to spell it in the German way the same way I did when I changed it. Um, but, uh, you know, if you have ideas of what you would like to see that you think, you know, involves public health data, you know, send me a line. I don't know if we can do it or not, but, you know, we can, it's a combination of what's helpful to the emergency doc and what the uh, program at the CDC will provide us the data for. And it does help if I have somebody saying, you know, I really like to get data on this. So thank you, Ryan, for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Um, and uh, everybody take care and be safe out there. Yeah, I already gave you my idea. And that's the, that's the regional based. So I don't have to get all the stuff about Nashville and um, you know, the borders, border cities of Kentucky before it gets closer to me here in central Kentucky. So you can take that to him. And I pr- appreciate that. Schneider is spelled S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R. So S. Schneider. Uh, at asep.org. It is actually going to be a more traditional uh, and um, consistent spelling of the name than a lot of the names that we're seeing coming into our departments right now. I didn't know why I went in a lot of those places, but apparently it can now. But uh, S. Schneider, I almost messed that up myself now, at asep.org. And for me, R. Stanton at asep.org. And I bet you more people mess up my last name than yours, uh, especially here uh, where I live. So R. Stanton at asep.org or at Everyday Med on the X machine. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASEP Frontline.
If you're not on the front lines, you're on the sidelines. Cue the music. Bam, bam, bam. Quiet place. All yeah. alone. Da, da, da.